Hi, guys. Welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast, the podcast where the PR person, me, Lisa Camuso-Miller, interviews reporters about how it is they got into journalism and what it is they're covering in the wide world of media affairs. It's a great opportunity for me to have a conversation and for you to learn more about the reporters that you're looking to pitch. It's also an opportunity for me to partnership with a great publication and opportunity for PR Daily to get the word out about the wonderful things they do in the world of communications, offering us training, offering us networking opportunities, and offering us some tremendous content to help us learn more about how to be better in communications. In fact, coming up November 17th, the Future of Communications Conference will be happening virtually. I'd love for you to join us there. In fact, if you use the promo code Friday Reporter, you can get $100 off for your participation. I can't wait to see you there. Well, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. This week's episode is with someone who many of you will recognize and will know, but I bet you don't know how it is that Anna Palmer, the great Anna Palmer, who is now the founder and CEO of Punchbowl News, got her start in journalism. Anna, thanks so much for being with me. Happy to be here. So Anna, uh, many of your colleagues and, and my colleagues and friends will know you from the time when you first arrived at Capitol Hill, but tell me a little bit about how you're from the Midwest, how it is you got started in this journalism uh, path, and how it is that you ended up being where you are today. Yeah, it's a windy road, <laughs> mm-hmm. to be honest. I think I've always wanted to be a reporter, probably since you know I was in second grade. I, you know, I like to challenge authority or something, but um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up watching Steve Couric and um, a lot of the different newscasters of the day, and I really wanted to go into television journalism, actually. Um, and so I you know, wrote for my high school paper, and I went to school. I really wanted to go to journalism school, but my parents really wanted me to go to a, a kind of a small arts college. I'm from North Dakota, so I, probably going to a huge campus would have been a, a big shock, to say the least. Sure. Um, and so I did with the agreement that I would go for at least one year and then maybe transfer to, to more of a journalism focused school. But, um, I just did a ton of internships. You know, I did television internships in Cheyenne, Wyoming and in Minnesota and did a semester at American university where I interned at roll call. And that was really kind of where I lived, you know, kind of my dream of working on the Hill and mm-hmm. kind of reporting and, you know, moved, two weeks after graduating from college with waitress shoes and resumes. Wow. And then did you go directly to roll call or did you have a stop no, off before no, that? No, I wish uh, that would have been, that would have been making it the big time. No, you know what I did is there was, it's, it's interesting now that I meant like life has all come full circle, but is I started out at what was then a biweekly newsletter called influence that mm-hmm. covered lobbying. Um, I didn't know anything about it, but I kind of, you know, faked my way into the, the job saying I could ask questions to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was every other week that it came out. It's, which is ironic now that I write a, we run a company that has three newsletters a day. So you mm-hmm. just kind of really see the path of how everything has sped up a bunch, but I loved it. You know, I covered it, it was before Jack Abramoff. There wasn't a lot of competition and there was a changeover from the Bush administration where a lot of really important people were leaving public office and, and, you know, kind of senior roles and we're going to go to lobbying firms and trade associations and really covered um, them from a very different angle and got a different appreciation for power in Washington and how it is exercised. And, and so for so long, you really did, you covered that intersection between 
business, lobbying, Capitol Hill, and which inside of Washington, D.C., we love the most because uh, it's kind of like who's doing, it's a gossip kind of piece, if you will. It's not necessarily gossip, but it is the kind of thing that fuels this town. It's, you know, who's moving where and who's doing what and what kind of um, relationships are sort of driving the debate. And so that's been really sort of your bread and butter for a long time. Um, it was at least. And then you moved on and were promoted up to really writing the the must read the politico playbook for for several years right i mean you wrote that piece and that for folks who maybe don't know what that is for every everybody that wakes up in the morning in washington dc they jump in and and at least at the time when you were writing it they read it and wanted to know what was happening because it really sort of set the tone for the day it was such an amazing opportunity. You know, I had covered, to your point, I really covered uh, money and politics, but through kind of the Hill lens and putting all those pieces together. And, uh, you know, Mike Allen, who was one of the founders of Politico and mm-hmm. started Playbook, left and it was kind of this gaping hole at Politico. And, you know, well, is the sun ever going to rise again um, after he left? <laughs> and, you know, we, Jake Sherman and myself, we've been really good friends for a long time you know, decided to kind of jump at the opportunity. I don't even, I don't think that we were really even on their radar to potentially take over um, no we wrote memos. And we had a lot of thoughts about, you know, what could be the next generation of this tip sheet. And I'm extremely proud of the work that we did there um, with a lot of people helping us along the way. But, you know, we it went from a daily tip sheet to a twice a day tip sheet. Mm-hmm. We added audio, we did uh, events around the country. It was, we really kind of were able to, and given the permission to say like, what's this next generation of this 10 year old product? So it was, it was a, it was, it was a great opportunity. And from there with the support and the, you know, advice and counsel from all the people around you, you have now got this brand new, not quite a year yet publication, pub punch bowl news. You guys are breaking and delivering fantastic news every day. I follow it. I know my colleagues follow it. Tell me a little bit about about how that happened. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be to have gone from being the reporter who is creating all this tremendous content for a publication to now being not just thinking about the news piece of it, but the business side of it. It's it's tremendous. You guys have really done great things in a short period of time. Thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And honestly, we've been amazed at how quickly we've really been able to kind of get a strong foothold here. You know, we had a real theory, Jake and I wrote a book, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the first two years of Donald Trump's presidency, but it was from the congressional aspect of kind of how power was exercised in Washington when you had this political figure who kind of upended everything. And this really is an outgrowth of that. I, you know, we knew that the Biden administration was going to be a total changeover for Washington. And all of a sudden, you know, the the stuff that is really our bread and butter, which is what happens under the Capitol Dome Mm -hmm. and the relationship that they have the White House and the industries that are trying to impact it, you know, there was going to be a lot of um, desire for information around that. Um, And so we took a big leap of faith and it's really worked out um, for those that don't know uh, how we got our name. Punchbowl is the secret service nickname for the Capitol. Um, and our logo is an overturned um, Capitol dome with some mm-hmm. punch in it. And so I think we wanted to be evocative of, the, you know, we, we were trying to do something new, something different. And we kind of, our mantra is power, people, politics. I think it's truly that simple. And 
you know, we've grown in, we're 10 months, uh, you know, we have a free morning newsletter that is over 100,000 folks have subscribed to. And then we do a premium product that is an afternoon and an evening newsletter mm-hmm. um, that for kind of, if you want to keep going with us throughout the day, we do a podcast, we do events. I mean, it's really grown to be a, a, a really pretty big enterprise for four founders. And we're, we're now up to, to seven folks. I was going to ask. So I, in just a short period of time during a pandemic, uh, when everybody was trying to figure out how to report and do, you guys were building this, you know, in 2020, obviously the thoughts I imagine came before then, even the infrastructure and the thoughts about how it looks, but you launched in January of this year. Is that right? Yeah. It was so we wrote our last newsletter for Politico on December 31st and on January 1st we sent our first email out you know telling folks what we were doing and our first newsletters went out January 3rd mm. think about that and then and January then here, 6th happens. I was gonna say and then January 6th so I mean it was in the breathless coverage that you guys were offering and, and just tremendous resource it, it really goes to the credibility of you guys all as journalists but also just being ready right you were already ready and that happened um so you're up to seven uh so is that is that six reporters and one professional or is that how does that look no. so we have four full-time reporters so there's jake and then i think you have john brazan was is one of our founders yeah i think you had on previous the guest already, uh-huh. who's uh, kind of the dean of the capitol hill press corps mm-hmm. and then we have two younger uh reporters that are uh, that have kind of like out of college or a job or two later mm-hmm. uh and then I kind of straddle both sides. So I, you know, I, I definitely still do some reporting, but I am much more focused on the business of this. Uh, right. And then we have another founder, Rachel Schindler, who is tremendous. She's our VP of kind of strategy and growth. And mm-hmm. we've brought on another business side. Oh, smart. Well, you guys are everywhere. Um, and, and certainly you have really, I mean, it's, it's clear that from the experience that you have and now moving into this tremendous enterprise that you guys have grown and, and built, um, the, the business side of it is really one that that has to be um, it has to be a, an element of, of journalism in, in today's world because it really is a, a big piece of how how you guys succeed and you can continue to offer those great resources what are you finding are the most um, most sought after in terms of the suite of things you offer is it events because you guys are really it's a, I mean it's a great it's a stamp of approval, really, if Punchbowl is going to host something for your your issue or your event. Tell me a little bit about what you're finding to be the most um, it's, fun. Do, I, I, I was surprised. I will say I was surprised in the, uh, in the middle of a pandemic that our events business took off mm-hmm. as much as it did. A lot of those are virtual, but we have done some in person. And we mm-hmm. also do some real high-level kind of invite-only events, which I think brands have found to be um, – really work well so we did one with clear right after their ipo mm-hmm. um and you know we we did it and we had a fireside chat with their ceo which was really great we just did another one that was similar to that with live nation mm-hmm. um you know where they really wanted to get the, the the kind of their story out about the role they have in the economy beyond you know just like the fact of people going to concerts mm-hmm. um and the other thing i would say is what we do that's really uh, unique and i i think I'm really gratified by we took a bit, a bit of a risk on is something called the Canvas, which is an anonymous survey of senior Capitol Hill staffers. And mm-hmm. we put it out monthly. Um, I think a lot of people talk about how they are 
polling, you know, the influential set to see what they think. But you have to be a senior staffer of a certain position and uh, we verify it Mm -hmm. and we get and because it's anonymous, you really get a pulse of what people think, um, whether it's related to policy, whether it's related to the elections, um, leadership, things like that. And it's been I think uh, we've gotten a tremendous response on the Hill. I think largely because we kind of live among Mm -hmm. those folks. They know us, they trust us. And I think readers love it because you're really getting some insights that no one else has. Yeah, no, that's unquestionable. There is definitely always a a, a poll that is of influencers without any real sense of who those influencers are. That the fact that it's a a cultivated and uh, thoughtful list of really people that are on the front lines, that are in those rooms, that are hearing as decisions are um, coming together, that's a value that I think that people can really use and, um, and offer, you know, in terms of um, client perspective and and thoughts as it relates to creating public affairs campaigns and other things. It's just really good, a good bird's eye view into all of that. Anna, as you um, reflect back on your experience and the journalism that you have, um, you know, sort of been part of, is there a particular story that you think back on that you're really especially proud to have, have worked on? There's, there's, when you've been in this business as long as I have, there's, there's many stories when you start looking back. I would say I'll, I'll give you two examples. Though. One was something that Jake Sherman and myself and John Bresan worked a lot on, which was uh, the story of Aaron Schock, who was mm-hmm. uh, an Illinois congressman who um, was later indicted um, for kind of misuse of congressional money and, and uh, many other things. And that was really kind of a just us really pushing on that story for, for months. Um, the other thing that, you know, I've done a lot around women's leadership in journalism, in women's leadership in Washington, in public service, uh, in the corporate sector. And one of the stories that I did was a series um, with Darren Samuelson, who's a wonderful reporter and, and runs Business Insiders, kind of Washington Appalachian. We spent months on uh, military sex assault. And it was really before, now there's a, it's a lot in the news, but it was kind of before it had really gotten uh, some national coverage. And so just the fact though, even, you know, honestly, that Politico let me really kind of spend almost six months doing that was, was, a, was it was a tough story to write, but it was a necessary story. And, and I'm, got, I'm really glad you brought that up because your leadership in the women's space has really not gone unnoticed by women like myself who are working in the, on the communication side. I think that just you as an example, you know, sort of leading from from where you are, having been a, a female journalist at a time when female journalists are um, very much in a in a not equal footing, maybe, but in a more um, more relative footing with their male counterparts. Certainly, less than a hundred years ago, that was not the case. Maybe fifty years, that was not the case. I mean, you've really had an opportunity to be a leader in that space. What do you tell young, aspiring uh, female journalists about ways to sort of be successful in this space as you offer that that leadership? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of you know it is, and a lot of it is about doing the work. You know, I, I think that there's a real recognition right now that you can do the work. I think it's also you know, that you need to ask for help, that you need to try to, you know, I don't know about always having an official mentorship, but I think there's been folks along the way that have been very helpful to me, men and women. Um, and I think being able to ask for that, and my other piece of advice is always negotiate. You know, I, I have maybe 
was something that is, is, is it's uncomfortable. And I think a lot of women have a hard time talking about money yeah. or what they make in their salaries. But I think kind of destigmatizing that and understanding, you know, what your worth is and that you're kind of being able to negotiate that is so important. And I think it's particularly important in newsrooms where there's often a real black box around who's making what, and mm-hmm. what level, you know, different different people are at. No, that's great advice. And and not being afraid to ask for what you know your worth is a big piece of that too. Just knowing that our male counterparts approach that differently, be, just based on sort of how males negotiate over how females negotiate. And that's really, I think, not just great advice for females that are going into the journalism space, but true of, of young women as they come into the communication space as well. Anna, because you are um, where you are today, maybe you don't regularly you may still get pitches um, from a variety of my colleagues and and allies in the communication space. Tell me if, is there something you think that stands out as a effective way to pitch maybe you and your colleagues at, at Punchbowl? What kinds of stories are you guys really seeking? Talk to me a little bit about that, if you will. Yeah, I get asked this a lot and I, I think it's pretty true across the board, but certainly for us, you know, it, one is it, are we going to be first on it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, if, if you put up a press release and you're forwarding me a press release, it's probably too late for something yeah. that we are going to consider. Um, that's not every news outlet, but I think for us, you know, having something that's a differentiator that the very important people that are super busy are opening us up three times a day. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that we're providing them information that they're not getting elsewhere. Something that's that new. That would be my first piece of advice. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is really understanding, reading, read us, right? I mean, I think if you read us even for a week in the free AM newsletter, you're going to get a very, very good sense of the things that we cover, how we cover them, what our perspective is. I think it's always kind of a, a lost opportunity when someone says you kind of this general pitch that, you know, they don't know you, they have no idea what you're writing and they've just sent it out to 2000 people. It'd be much more effective to send out, you know, it to five people and to really know what the outlets are. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And if for sure, anybody that reads knows that you guys are seeking new, fresh information because your readers are really very much looking for that, especially from you because you are on the front lines. Tell me, have you noticed at all a shift or a change in sort of the way people reach out to you since January 6th? Has there been sort of anything that st- stood out to you as sort of a, a takeaway from from that day and, and a shift maybe perhaps um, that you've seen on the Hill? Is there anything that's that's more prevalent, more obvious to you other than sort of the hyper-partisanship that's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think the hyper-partisanship was happening before and mm-hmm. January 6th only... Um, you know, made that larger mm-hmm. one. I think though for us, you know, we live among our readers. And so I think you know, we, we are hyper nonpartisan, right? I think one of the things that I'm most proud of when we look at the stats of Punchable News is we are 50-50 we, uh, down the line between yeah. Republican and Democratic offices that are reading us and that get us. And so both sides need to find value in what we're reporting because we're projecting a lot. We're, you know, kind of trying to really narrate what's going to happen um, in Washington. So I don't I don't really think so. I mean, I think the biggest thing I always say, you know, is missing, though, that I think, you know, anybody in this profession could use is like having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with somebody who's a reporter and like actually investing in the relationship versus Mm -hmm. how much is done over email now. Um, I know everybody's busy and I know it's a pandemic and it's hard to do things face to face. 
Um, but I think as we come out of this, I think there's a real opportunity to, to make a connection. Cause I think once you know somebody who is pitching you, there's a lot more trust level, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of, okay, they're going to bring me good stuff. It's worth looking at. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was the reason why I started the podcast because selfishly I was losing and missing out on those interactions and conversations like you and I have had over the years in terms of, you know, what I'm hearing, what you're hearing, how can I be useful to you? And not in a way that like, I don't come to, Every time I come to you, I don't need something or you don't need something. Um, We visit because we visit. I mean, and that's, I think, something that I, because I, that's why the pod, really sort of the start of the podcast was that because no one really could get out. The, in terms of the followership and the people that pay attention to the podcast are typically communicators. A lot of them are Hill communicators. I've had some of the younger um, folks that maybe have just come on the scene or or, are getting their footing um, in the business, reach out to me and, and, and thank me for, you know, interviewing a particular person because it's someone they've been trying to get to know or understand. And because everybody's been either virtual or, you know, unable to visit in person that that gave them perspective into, you know, sort of the beat and what it is. Um, that the reporter cares about. And so that I think was a positive that I'm proud of in terms of building this conversation. Uh, But because, you know, this is our, also our social visit because I haven't seen you in a little while. Life has been, um, there are lots of positive things. Anna Palmer is newly married and maybe hoping to plan a trip because it's the Friday reporter. I always like to know kind of what are you most looking forward to on the social side? Are you planning anything fun to do in the future, a couple of weeks or months? Yeah, we're going on our honeymoon, so I'm excited about that, nice. um, which would be great. But I just was, you know, I'm from North, but I, I was just home. I just saw my parents, and I saw my grandma, who's 100 years old. Oh, um, nice. And I hope if I'm if I live that old, I'm, I'm doing as well as she is. So mm-hmm. um, that has been really nice. I, I'm a big, um, so I love to travel, and I'm a big foodie. And so I'm most looking forward to kind of getting back to that stuff just the I will say the one thing I don't miss and I am trying really hard not to get back to is I I was on the road a lot probably almost every week if not every other week and um, I think kind of slowing down a little bit from that I uh, I I don't anticipate trying to trying to do that go on uh, go on some fun partner some fun fun trips but maybe not as many work trips yeah well I mean and you're building obviously a business right here in town so that probably will keep you maybe grounded for a little while until the, 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 the punch bowl news continues to grow and expand that might change. But, um, for right now, certainly being here is obviously the the best opportunity for you. So girl, as we get ourselves to the end of our conversation, tell me who is it that you think I should interview for a future episode? I know you've had, first of all, congratulations, uh, with, with the success of the podcast and getting a tons of my, uh, colleagues to, to share their, Spill the tea, I guess, or their punch. They roll for punchable news. Um, that's wonderful. And there's so many great people. But I will say, you've had Brez, you've had me. I recommend Jake Sherman. He's All the right. other founder of Punchable News and is really the um, the voice of what we do and kind of the heart of the whole co- whole company. Well, I would love to round out the the trifecta and make sure that that all three of you guys have had a chance to say hi. Uh, it would be unfair for me not to mention that you have been nominated by at least one, if not more, members of the uh, the Friday Reporter uh, guest list, one of which, of course, is our friend Jackie Kucinich. But I was glad to finally catch you. I know building a business and planning a wedding and having, you know, sort of this busy... <laughs> Capitol Hill business that's never ending, I don't think. Um, I am really super grateful for your time today, Anna. Thanks for being with me. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. 
Thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a resource for communicators like myself and you who are listening in. Join me on November 17th for the Future of Communications Conference, a conference that will allow us opportunities to plan for our next year and talk about what it is we're going to look forward to for the future of communications. Find me there at prdaily.com and join me for the conference. And if you register, be sure to use Friday Reporter as a code to get $100 off. Thanks. Talk to you next week. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.